Today's episode of T's Table Talk podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash T's Table Talk. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash T's Table Talk to get a free audiobook. Hi, Jerrica. It's Tawana from T's Table Talk. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Tawana? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to just uh, uh, let uh, the audience know a little bit about you, so I'm just going to uh, read your bio, and then uh, okay. we'll get we'll get going from there. Okay. So awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So Jerrica Richardson is a senior is senior advisor and secretary to the board for the nation's largest independent police oversight agency, the New York City Civilian Complete uh, Complaint Review Board uh, or the CCRB. In this dual role, she serves as the board's liaison and focuses on strategy, public education and engagement for the agency overseeing its policy and advocacy outreach and intergovernmental affairs, communications, and case management units. Previously, Ms. Richardson served as chief of staff in the office of the council to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and special advisor to the mayor for media relations, criminal justice, and public safety planning. She's also worked as the senior spokesperson for Manhattan U.S. attorney Preet Bharara and field producer and off-air reporter for ABC News. Additional, additionally, Ms. Richardson's commitment to public service extends beyond her work with the CCRB. She remains civically engaged by serving as vice chair of Manhattan Community Board 10's Arts and Culture Committee, providing media and policy guidance to political campaigns and fundraising for black women and other progressive candidates. Ms. Richardson frequently appears as a political commentator on television and radio programs in this tri-state area and as a panelist for public forums and conversations focused on criminal justice and police accountability. Ms. Richardson was named a New York City 40 Under 40 Rising Star by City and State Magazine. She holds a JD from the University of Michigan Law School and a BA in English from Spelman College. And now I'd like to welcome Ms. Jerrica Richardson. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you Jerrica. so much for having me, T. Thank you for, for your patience. Um, and, uh, and no, it is a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Um, so first, um, you know, can you, um, just give us a little bit about, uh, your, your background, uh, you know, something that you, uh, would like to share with the listeners? I mean, I know I just read a whole biography there, <laughs> but you know, what is it that you, I know you have a background in journalism as well. I've seen you on ABC news. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I think I, um, really had an interest in pursuing a career in media, law, and politics, chiefly because of my first experience voting uh, when I was a freshman at, uh, at Spelman College. 
Um, so I had the opportunity to vote uh, and register to vote along with my entire freshman class uh, in the year 2000. As we all know, that was Bush v. Gore, and it was, I think, a pivotal election in um, in this country. And when I actually showed up to poll to the polls on election day, my name and the names of all of my classmates were not on the list. Um, and so I think that was just really a big moment for me, um, just to know what it feels like to be disenfranchised and to have stayed at the polls all night trying to figure out what happened, calling elected officials, calling civil rights folks, seeing people that I had registered through a voter, another voter registration drive because I'd become involved with the NAACP there, seeing mm-hmm. folks that I'd registered to vote be able to and then not being able to do so myself. They didn't have provisional ballots. Um, they kept saying they were going to bring them and they never came. We really, at the end of the night, we were like ripping up notebook paper and writing the names of our preferred candidates right. on that. And I think that's it, that situation um, really shook me because here I was in Atlanta, the birth, you know, the birthplace of the civil rights movement. And like, here it was the year 2000. And as a student in college, I still couldn't vote. And so I think that experience made me think about what could have been different that day. I thought about the importance of really understanding the political process, understanding election law, um, having relationships um, with government bodies, and really being able to advocate for oneself, mm-hmm. and also how different that experience would have been if the media, you know, which we called, had showed up and told our story. Unfortunately, that evening when we looked on the television, all we saw was stories about patriotic Georgians voting, and there was nothing on the screen about all these college students in a predominantly Black community that just never got their right to exercise that vote that day. So that's really what propelled me to go to law school Mm -hmm. um, and to become a journalist and really tell these stories um, and really talk about what's happening in our community. And it's also what propelled me to, you know, to go into government. I interned for Congressman John Lewis and actually got to work on voting rights legislation and election law. And so I've just been trying to um, spend my career focusing on issues of social justice and trying to use both media, politics, and law to address them. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you for your service. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We really do appreciate you. Um, This is kind of a a good segue. So you mentioned that that's what propelled you into, you know, to go into journalism, which um, Mm -hmm. that was something that I was interested in as well, once upon a time. Um, And uh, so I I admire you. Um, so you, um, as you're part of, um, you're the vice chair for, of of the Manhattan Mm -hmm. community board, 10 arts and culture committee. How did that, how did that occur? Um, how did you, uh, find yourself as vice chair of that committee? Mm -hmm. Um, I have been a member of that committee. I had also served as vice chair of the public safety committee, which is very much in line with a lot of the work that I do in the day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just really have always had a passion um, for the arts and also a passion for Harlem and really the rich history and culture um, that abounds here and have been in active with the community board um, and active in some of the work that the committee has done. And the chair just asked me to be vice chair this year. So I'm really excited about that um, and really excited about um, 
amplifying a lot of the great, amazing work that is happening here and making sure that we share that not just with our, you know, our neighbors in Manhattan, but with everyone in the city and everyone that actually comes to the city to experience um, New York. I think Harlem is Harlem and the arts community really is part of that rich fabric. Oh wow! Um, and so, but uh, so as part of your um, part of your background, um, you're able to mm-hmm. lend um, assistance um, in terms of media to political candidates and things of that nature. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yes, I mean I'm really interested in supporting candidates um, that have progressive values that are really focused on uplifting the community. Candidates that care about social justice issues. Um, so I do volunteer my time nice. and um, work with them on media training and um, messaging and storytelling and PR, um, things of that, and debate prep and things of that nature. Um, just because I think it's important for us all to be engaged and involved in some way, shape, or form, and do our part um, to make sure that people that are really willing to do the work and are committed committed to advancing the community. Um, get their shot and get the opportunity to do so. Wow. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And um, uh, so uh, again, and uh, I, I thank you for, for your service. Um, I, I wanted to segue a little bit into your role with the civilian complaint review board, if that's okay. Of course. Um, can you tell our audience um what is the Civilian Complaint Review Board? What do they do? <laughs> um, so as you mentioned before, the Civilian Complaint Review Board is the nation's largest independent police oversight entity. Um, really, we are, we've been around for about 26 years now, and we were ushered into existence by Mayor David Dinkins, uh, New York City's first African-American mayor. mayor. And really, um, the CCRB um, came into existence because members of the community had been having interactions with law enforcement and were uneasy about filing complaints about misconduct to the very um, entity where, you know, that employs the people they had the interaction with. So they didn't feel good about going to the NYPD and asking the police, the police themselves. And they really um, rallied and urged lawmakers, both the city council, the mayor, and others uh, to step up and create an all-civilian independent body that could really serve um, as an independent investigator on these cases. And so um, we started out with investigations. Now we not only do investigations, we do mediations, and we also do prosecutions. And so we're the only entity in the nation that independently prosecutes police officers um, for misconduct. And our prosecutors, some have been public defenders, some have been district attorneys, some have been U.S. attorneys, but they're all here um, because they want to support impartiality and they want the community to know that there is a resource for them, mm-hmm. that if you have an interaction with law enforcement that you think is improper, um, that you have somewhere to go instead of just to the body that the situation occurred with. And so the types of um, complaints that we investigate, Mm -hmm. our jurisdiction is um, force. So that could be kicking, it could be punching, um, it could be the use of a weapon or Mm -hmm. drawing of a gun. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It could be abuse of our, the next category is abuse of authority. Mm -hmm. So if you're improperly stopped or searched Mm -hmm. or a police officer covers their badge so that you can't write down their name or their Mm -hmm. badge number, Mm -hmm. um, the third category is discourtesy. So it's just profanity, um, just engaging with a civilian in an inappropriate way. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the last one is offensive language. So if you are ever called out of your name and someone uses um, a slur or uses any language that uh, negatively um, refers to your sexuality, your race, your Mm -hmm. gender, your disability status, your religion, you know, all that is inappropriate. And our, you know, our investigators, um, if you reach out to us, will go ahead and look into that incident um, and really make um, a recommendation to our board and our board will look at all the evidence um, to determine if what uh, the complainant said occurred did occur and if it actually was in fact improper. And it's, you know, it gives us the opportunity to ensure that law enforcement officers, members of the NYPD are disciplined for misconduct and bad behavior, which we know can really um, harm the relationship between police and the community that they serve. Right. Uh, um, they have to be accountable. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you, does CCRB provide training to the community uh, as to, you know, uh, what they can do if they ever encounter a discourteous uh, police officer or what to do in a situation, you know, in a situation where, you know, if they were ever approached, does that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do. Um I actually oversee um, all of our external facing units. And one of those units is our outreach and intergovernmental affairs unit unit. They go out into the community, they go to schools, they go to um, houses of worship. um, They go to community meetings, um, really anywhere um, people want us to come, whether it's uh, your, your housing or apartment complex, Mm -hmm. your building, we will show up, um, and we'll kind of give you an overview of not only our work, um, but of, um, how to deescalate a situation. Um, we give you, um, really information about your rights and responsibilities when dealing with law enforcement. And we also, um, explain officers, responsibilities when dealing with you so that you have a sense of when an interaction might be improper. Um, But at the end of the day, we really stress de-escalation and just being aware of where you are, the time of day, trying to remember anything from the incident that you can so that you, that if you come to us and report it, we really can gather as much information as possible, whether that's video footage from a store um, or witnesses that may have been nearby, really to piece the story together and do a thorough impartial investigation on your behalf. For everyone listening to this podcast episode of Tea's Table Talk, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Audible has an extensive catalog of audiobooks to choose from. Uh, my favorites are usually in the self-help section of the library. Uh, I've been using Audible for about 
three years, uh, and I've accumulated maybe about 30 or so titles, uh, I recommend that you get an audiobook of your choice available at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Tease Table Talk. You can download your pick or uh, choose another audiobook free uh, by typing uh, audible.com. Um, there are a few books that, uh, have come out, um, becoming by Michelle Obama. Uh, I've downloaded that and, uh, uh, how to start a podcast. Uh, also, uh, 48 laws of power, the art of war, but again, you can choose what you want. Okay. So actually, if you are liking this podcast, um, you might as well pick up a free audiobook. Okay, go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash T's Table Talk. Wow. Uh, this is uh, good information um, that I think, you know, um, although maybe most of my listeners happen to be women, we still, as we can see today, um, we, women are facing uh, a lot, uh, you know, the same way men are, uh, you know, mm-hmm. black, and, you know, I'll, I'll venture to say black men Um but this is uh, good information to know. Thank you so much. Um, so speaking of that, um, I wanted to uh, talk about the as, as much as if you can and as much as you you can care to comment on the Pantaleo uh, and Eric Eric Garner case where uh, Officer Pantaleo um, uh, used an illegal chokehold, which resulted in the death of uh, Eric Garner. Uh, a mm-hmm. sidewalk vendor in Staten Island. Um, I know that eventually that the CCRB came down and uh, and Mr. Officer, former Officer Pantaleo, uh, lost his job. Um, mm-hmm. But um, would you would you care to provide any uh, any comment or a clarity on that? You know, maybe folks don't understand uh, what occurred. Why maybe it took so long? Yeah. Well, I I think first and foremost, I have to say that my heart goes out to the Garner family and it continues um, to go out to them. Five years is absolutely too long. And at the end of the day, although there was a resolution in the case for the family, Mm -hmm. honestly, no verdict by a judge or no decision by a police commissioner Mm -hmm. is ever going to bring their loved one back. Um, And, you know, I... I'm happy that the CCRB was really able to serve as a resource for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after the incident occurred in Staten Island, um, complaints were filed with our office and our investigators immediately started investigating the case. I think what attributed to some of the lag time in the family receiving some sort of resolution mm-hmm. was the fact that there was um, first a criminal case in Staten Island, the district attorney's office was looking into the case and they asked us to put our investigation on hold. Then um, eventually the district attorney's office uh, did not return an indictment in the case. Mm-hmm. And then the Justice Department stepped in and started investigating the case and again asked CCRB to put the case on hold. Um, at the end of the day, neither the Justice Department or the district attorney's office ever moved forward Um And, you know, with charges and a formal resolution for the family and the case, Mm -hmm. but the CCRB was really dogged in our work Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and moved forward 
2017, 2017, the, um, our board evaluated all the evidence we had at the time, um, everything that we had gathered before they told our case, asked us to put our case on hold. And, um, you know, one of the things we had was the video that really the entire nation saw. Um, we also had witnesses. And so they were able to review that evidence and determine based on the law and based on the patrol guide, uh, the NYPD's very own patrol guide, um, that misconduct had occurred and a legal chokehold was used. And so after that, um, they made the decision to um, issue charges against the officer. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the spring of 2018, we got the opportunity finally to try the case. Um, so it took a long time, um, way too long. And I, and I think this was a lesson both for New York City, but for this country um, about really the importance of resolving these issues, because we know um, accountability is important to public trust, mm -hmm. but we also have to respect the trauma that families go through in these incidents, but also that everyday people go through when they're seeing these videos on on television and on social media over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. it, it impacts the psyche of all of us. Absolutely. Um, and it's just important that we work and push to make sure there's accountability because if there's not, I really don't think it is a healthy situation for our community, a healthy situation for anyone really in this, in this state or this nation. And so I'm happy that we were able to prosecute the case. The judge, um, believe we proved our case mm -hmm. uh, and the police commissioner really upheld the judge's verdict and um, fired officer Pantaleo from the department. Well, um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I was also saddened to hear about the death of Mr. Garner. Um, but of course, um, you know, I guess elated to find that at least some justice, if, if we want to call it justice, um, some resolution on on the mm -hmm. side on the part of the Garner family was was found um if god forbid this should happen again something similar in new york city would ccrb continue they if they started an investigation they were asked to to hold off on the investigation in the future uh are they would they do something differently would you know would you continue could you comment on that or is that something that maybe CCRB is working on or, or looking at to say, you know, we're, you know, we're independent, so we're going to continue. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think historically um, there has been a preference knowing that a family would obviously, I think if they feel misconduct occurred, want the officer dismissed think their pri oftentimes the belief has been that the priority was um, that they would want that person, in, you know, convicted in a criminal court as well. And so there has been deference given to um, the criminal bodies. I do think the mayor has talked about and the city has talked about since this incident and looking at, you know, the timeline and how things worked out. Mm -hmm really giving, um, I think, more deference to letting all of the bodies, like the NYPD had their own investigation, uh -huh. letting everyone proceed on their work and not letting as much time pass as has occurred. Okay. Um, so we will see in future incidents, but, you know, really from our standpoint at CCRB, 
the minute that we hear about something that it's brought to our attention and a complaint is filed, we are out the gate trying to get as much information as we can so that we can move forward. Um, And the hope is that there has been a lesson learned and that there will be better outcomes for families in the future. Well, um, I I have one other um I have one other uh, case or two cases, actually, if you'd care to comment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the both of Jean and uh, Tatiana Jefferson cases, both that are, uh, occurred in in Texas, where, um, you know, both of these of the victims were in their home and uh, mm-hmm. and they were uh, killed by police officers. Um, what what is your analysis of, of that case? of that case is that our, so we know that, uh, you know, the officer in the Baltimore Jean case, she was, uh, convicted, um, of, of murder. Um, in terms of the, the, uh, Tatiana Jefferson, uh, case, um, what, what are your thoughts, uh, on, on something like that? Um, you know, is, is that, it's, it's, it, it seems kind of, you know, it's, it seems kind of strange that that could happen twice in the same state, so close to mm-hmm. one another, and just almost so casually. I feel that you know. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts uh, mm-hmm. as 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 someone that is uh, head of uh, well, you know, senior advisor and head of the CCRB. What are your thoughts in terms of what you do uh, on that case? Just any any comment or analysis you'd care to make? Well, I think both incidents that you mentioned are just absolutely tragic. Um, I don't, you know, again, we have another young person, two young people really gone far too soon in such a tragic manner to be killed in their own homes. Um, I think the fact that they are both coming from the same area and the same department has been dealing with them, for me, underscores that there's a lot more to be done as far as training is concerned for there to be a pattern of incidents and similar incidents. Um, Here in New York City, um, you know, when I worked in the mayor's office, I think we learned through the Garner case and other cases that training is something that we cannot take lightly. Um, Oftentimes you see officers come into a department and at the front end, of uh, joining a police force, they get a lot of training. But as time goes on, that training becomes less and less frequent. Mm-hmm. And use of force is one of those things where I, I personally believe that you should have continuous training on that. You should have continuous training on de-escalation. Every officer should be familiar with protocol because you don't want people out in the street um, with guns and weapons that are supposed to serve and protect us that are operating off of instinct or operating out of fear um, because people lose their lives. And so I think there really needs to be a deep dive um, in that department. But I also think it's something that we're looking at here in New York, but it's something that we have to look at nationwide. Like you, training is important. It needs to be something that happens frequently. Um, and because our lives depend on it. And if you're seeing that there's a problem 
and a repeat problem happening in a certain area, mm-hmm. then we need to go back in and assess what is driving that. Is it the hiring process? Is it training? Is it um, a lack of cultural competency? I think there's a whole bunch of issues that could be influencing that, mm-hmm. but you can't mm-hmm. allow incidents like that to happen without really looking into a department and sometimes doing a complete overhaul of their current existing practices. Got it. Well, uh, Jerrica, I have one last question for you. You are a senior advisor and secretary to the board of CCRB. And, um, you know, you have just shared a lot of information. You have a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. My question to you is, what do you do to decompress? How do you, what, what's your self-care regimen? <laughs> what do you do <laughs> to take the, um, the pressure off, you know? Honestly, that's a great question. I don't get to decompress enough, but I do feel honestly like working out helps me with that. Um, self-care, mm-hmm. going and getting a massage from time to time, but also just spending time with my family and friends. Nice. Um, you know, it's a lot of work and I understand it's important work, but we can't as individuals take care of other people and help other people if we don't take care of ourselves. So I'm all for making sure you create the space and time um, to spend it with your loved ones and just relax. Thank you so very much. With that, I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate you joining T's Table Talk. Jerrica Richardson, thank you so much. Please continue to do what you do. We need people like you in the space in which you work and and serve the public as well. Okay? Mm-hmm. Thank you so very thanks. much. Thanks, T. And I just wanted to say thank you for this opportunity to have this conversation but I also want to thank you for all you've been doing to support our community and empower women like myself every day. So I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Uh, that was Jerrica Richardson. You know, um, she epitomizes what this platform uh, was built upon. Uh, so T's Table Talk, uh, highlighting women in politics, business, uh, covering social issues, arts and culture. Um, so with that, I'd like to say uh, thank you for joining me on T's Table Talk. Uh, until next time. <laughs>